0: An Account of Egypt by Herodotus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An Account of Egypt by Herodotus. Section 8. This Cheops, the Egyptians said, reigned fifty years, and after he was dead, his brother Kephren succeeded to the kingdom. This king followed the same manner of dealing as the other both in all the rest, and also in that he made a pyramid, not indeed attaining to the measurements of that which was built by the former. This I know, having myself also measured it, and moreover there are no underground chambers beneath, nor does a channel come from the Nile flowing to this one as to the other, in which the water coming through a conduit built for it, flows round an island within where they say that Cheops himself is laid. But for a basement he built the first course of Ethiopian stone of divers colors, and this pyramid he made forty feet lower than the other as regards size, building it close to the Great Pyramid. These stand both upon the same hill, which is about a hundred feet high. And Kefren, they said, reigned fifty and six years. Here then they reckoned one hundred and six years, during which they say that there was nothing but evil for the Egyptians. AND THE TEMPLES WERE KEPT CLOSED AND NOT OPEN DURING ALL THAT TIME. THESE KINGS THE EGYPTIANS BY REASON OF THEIR HATRED OF THEM are NOT VERY WILLING TO NAME. NAY, THEY EVEN CALL THE PYRAMIDS AFTER THE NAME OF Philetus THE SHEPHERD, WHO AT THAT TIME PASTURED FLOCKS IN THOSE REGIONS. AFTER HIM, THEY SAID, Makirinos BECAME KING OVER EGYPT WHO WAS THE SON OF CHEOPS, AND TO HIM HIS FATHER'S DEEDS WERE DISPLEASING, AND HE BOTH OPENED THE TEMPLES AND GAVE LIBERTY TO THE PEOPLE who were ground down to the last extremity of evil, to return to their own business and to their sacrifices. Also he gave decisions of their causes juster than those of all the other kings besides. In regard to this, then, they commend this king more than all the other kings who had arisen in Egypt before him. For he not only gave good decisions, but also when a man complained of the decision, he gave him recompense from his own goods, and thus satisfied his desire." But while Mekirinos was acting mercifully to his subjects and practicing this conduct which has been said, calamities befell him, of which the first was this, namely that his daughter died, the only child whom he had in his house. And being above measure grieved by that which had befallen him, and desiring to bury his daughter in a manner more remarkable than others, he made a cow of wood, which he covered over with gold, and then within it he buried this daughter, who, as I said, had died. This cow was not covered up in the ground, but it might be seen even down to my own time in the city of Sais, placed within the royal palace in a chamber which was greatly adorned. And they offer incense of all kind before it every day, and each night a lamp burns beside it all through the night. Near this cow, in another chamber, stand images of the concubines of Makyrinos, as the priests at Sais told me. For there are, in fact, colossal wooden statues in number about twenty. "'made with naked bodies, but who they are I am not able to say "'except only that which is reported. "'Some, however, tell about this cow and the colossal statues the following tale, "'namely that Makirinos was enamored of his own daughter and afterwards ravished her. "'And upon this they say that the girl strangled herself for grief, "'and he buried her in this cow, and her mother cut off the hands of the maids "'who had betrayed the daughter to her father.' WHEREFORE NOW THE IMAGES OF THEM HAVE SUFFERED THAT WHICH THE MAID SUFFERED IN THEIR LIFE. IN THUS SAYING THEY SPEAK IDLY, AS IT SEEMS TO ME, ESPECIALLY IN WHAT THEY SAY ABOUT THE HANDS OF THE STATUES, FOR AS TO THIS EVEN WE OURSELVES SAW THAT THEIR HANDS HAD DROPPED OFF FROM LAPSE OF TIME, AND THEY WERE TO BE SEEN STILL LYING AT THEIR FEET EVEN DOWN TO MY TIME. THE COW IS COVERED UP WITH A crimson ROBE, EXCEPT ONLY THE HEAD AND THE NECK, WHICH ARE SEEN OVERLAID WITH GOLD VERY THICKLY and between the horns there is the disc of the sun figured in gold. The cow is not standing up but kneeling, and in size is equal to a large living cow. Every year it is carried forth from the chamber. At those times, I say, the Egyptians beat themselves for that god whom I will not name upon occasion of such a matter. At these times, I say, they also carry forth the cow to the light of day, for they say that she asked of her father Mekirinos when she was dying, that she might look upon the sun once in the year. After the misfortune of his daughter, it happened, they said, secondly to this king, as follows. An oracle came to him from the city of Buto, saying that he was destined to live but six years more, in the seventh year to end his life, and he being indignant at it sent to the oracle a reproach against the god, making complaint in reply that whereas his father and uncle, who had shut up the temples and had not only remembered the gods, but also had been destroyers of men, had lived for a long time, he himself who practiced piety was destined to end his life so soon. And from the oracle came a second message, which said that it was for this very cause that he was bringing his life to a swift close, for he had not done that which it was appointed for him to do since it was destined that Egypt should suffer evils for a hundred and fifty years, and the two kings who had arisen before him had perceived this, but he had not. Makirinos, having heard this, and considering that this sentence had passed upon him beyond recall, procured many lamps, and whenever night came on, he lighted these, and began to drink and take his pleasure, ceasing neither by day nor by night. And he went about to the fen country, and to the woods, and wherever he heard there were the most suitable places of enjoyment. This he devised, having a mind to prove that the oracles spoke falsely, in order that he might have twelve years of life instead of six, the nights being turned into days. This king also left behind him a pyramid much smaller than that of his father, of a square shape and measuring on each side three hundred feet lacking twenty, built moreover of Ethiopian stone up to half the height. This pyramid, some of the Hellenes say, was built by the courtesan Rhodopus, not therein speaking rightly. And besides this it is evident to me that they who speak thus do not even know who Rhodopis was, for otherwise they would not have attributed to her the building of a pyramid like this, on which have been spent, so to speak, innumerable thousands of talents. Moreover, they do not know that Rhodopis flourished in the reign of King Amasis, and not in this king's reign. For Rhodopis lived very many years later than the kings who left behind them these pyramids. By descent she was of Thrace and she was a slave of Ladman, the son of Hephaistopetus, a Samian, and a fellow slave of Esop, the maker of fables. For he too was once the slave of Ladman, as was proved especially by this fact, namely that when the people of Delphi repeatedly made proclamation in accordance with an oracle to find someone who would take up the blood money for the death of Esop, no one else appeared, but at length the grandson of Ladman, called Ladman also, took it up, and thus it showed that Aesop too was a slave of Ladman. As for Rhodopis, she came to Egypt brought by Xanthes the Samian, and having come thither to exercise her calling, she was redeemed from slavery for a great sum by a man of Mytilene, Caraxos, son of Scamandronimos, and brother of Sappho, the lyric poet. Thus was Rhodopis set free, and she remained in Egypt, and by her beauty won so much liking that she made a great gain of money, for one like Rhodopis, though not enough to suffice for the cost of such a pyramid as this. In truth there is no need to ascribe to her very great riches, considering that the tithe of her wealth may still be seen even to this time by any one who desires it. For Rhodopis wished to leave behind her a memorial of herself in Hellas, namely to cause a thing to be made such as happens not to have been thought of or dedicated in a temple by any besides and to dedicate this at Delphi as a memorial of herself. Accordingly with the tithe of her wealth, she caused to be made spits of iron of size large enough to pierce a whole ox, and many in number, going as farther in as her tithe alouder, and she sent them to Delphi. These are even at the present time lying there heaped all together behind the altar where the Cians dedicated, and just opposite to the cell of the temple." Now at Necratus, as it happens, the courtesans are rather apt to win credit. For this woman first, about whom the story to which I refer is told, became so famous that all the Hellenes without exception came to know the name of Rhodopis, and then after her one whose name was Archidike, became a subject of song all over Hellas, though she was less talked of than the other. As for Caraxos, when after redeeming Rhodopis he returned back to Mytilene, Sappho, in an ode, violently abused him. Of Rhodopus then, I shall say no more. After Mekirinos, the priest said Ascidas became king of Egypt, and he made for Hephaistos the temple gateway which is towards the sun rising, by far the most beautiful and the largest of the gateways. For while they all have figures carved upon them and in innumerable ornaments of building besides, this has them very much more than the rest. In this king's reign they told me that as the circulation of money was very slow, a law was made for the Egyptians that a man might have that money lent to him which he needed by offering as security the dead body of his father. And there was added moreover to this law another, namely that he who lent the money should have a claim also as to the whole of the sepulchral chamber belonging to him who received it, and that the man who offered that security should be subject to this penalty if he refused to pay back the debt. Namely, that neither the man himself should be allowed to have burial when he died, either in the family burial place or in any other, nor should he be allowed to bury any of his kinsmen whom he lost by death. This king, desiring to surpass the kings of Egypt who had arisen before him, left as a memorial of himself a pyramid which he made of bricks, and on it there is an inscription carved in stone and saying thus, Despise not me in comparison with the pyramids of stone seeing that I excel them as much as Zeus excels the other gods. For with a pole they struck into the lake, and whatever of the mud attached itself to the pole, this they gathered up and made bricks, and in such manner they finished me. Such were the deeds which this king performed, and after him reigned a blind man of the city of Aeneas, whose name was Aeneas. IN HIS REIGN THE ETHIOPIANS AND SABAKOS, THE KING OF THE ETHIOPIANS, MARCHED UPON EGYPT WITH A GREAT HOST OF MEN. SO THIS BLIND MAN DEPARTED, FLYING TO THE FEN COUNTRY. AND THE ETHIOPIAN WAS KING OVER EGYPT FOR FIFTY YEARS, DURING WHICH HE PERFORMED DEEDS AS FOLLOWS. WHENEVER ANY MAN OF THE EGYPTIANS COMMITTED ANY TRANSGRESSION, HE WOULD NEVER PUT HIM TO DEATH. BUT HE GAVE SENTENCE UPON EACH MAN ACCORDING TO THE GREATNESS OF THE WRONGDOING pointing them to work at throwing up an embankment before that city from whence each man came of those who committed wrong. Thus the cities were made higher still than before, for they were embanked first by those who dug the channels in the reign of Sesostris, and then secondly in the reign of the Ethiopian, and thus they were made very high. And while other cities in Egypt also stood high, I think in the town at Bubastis especially the earth was piled up, IN THIS CITY THERE IS A TEMPLE VERY WELL WORTHY OF MENTION, FOR THOUGH THERE ARE OTHER TEMPLES WHICH ARE LARGER AND BUILT WITH MORE COST, NONE MORE THAN THIS IS A PLEASURE TO THE EYES. NOW Bubastis IN THE HELLENIC TONGUE IS ARTEMIS, AND HER TEMPLE IS ORDERED THUS, EXCEPT THE ENTRANCE IT IS COMPLETELY SURROUNDED BY WATER, FOR CHANNELS COME IN FROM THE NILE NOT JOINING ONE ANOTHER, BUT EACH EXTENDING AS FAR AS THE ENTRANCE OF THE TEMPLE, ONE FLOWING ROUND ON THE ONE SIDE, AND THE OTHER ON THE OTHER SIDE each a hundred feet broad and shaded over with trees, and the gateway has a height of ten fathoms, and it is adorned with figures six cubits high, very noteworthy. This temple is in the middle of the city and is looked down upon from all sides as one goes round, for since the city has been banked up to a height while the temple has not been moved from the place where it was at the first built, it is possible to look down into it and round it runs a stone wall with figures carved upon it while within it there is a grove of very large trees planted round a large temple-house, within which is the image of the goddess, and the breadth and length of the temple is a furlong every way. Opposite the entrance there is a road paved with stone for about three furlongs, which leads through the marketplace towards the east, with a breadth of about four hundred feet. And on this side and on that grow trees of height reaching to heaven, and the road leads to the temple of Hermes. This temple, then, is thus ordered. The final deliverance from the Ethiopian came about, they said, as follows. He fled away because he had seen in his sleep a vision, in which it seemed to him that a man came and stood by him and counseled him to gather together all the priests in Egypt and cut them asunder in the midst. Having seen this dream, he said that it seemed to him that the gods were foreshowing him this to furnish an occasion against him, in order that he might do an impious deed with respect to religion and so receive some evil, either from the gods or from men. He would not, however, do so, but in truth, he said, the time had expired during which it had been prophesied to him that he should rule Egypt, before he departed thence. For when he was in Ethiopia, the oracles which the Ethiopians consulted told him that it was fated for him to rule Egypt fifty years. Since then this time was now expiring, and the vision of the dream also disturbed him, "'Sabakos departed out of Egypt of his own free will. "'Then when the Ethiopian had gone away out of Egypt, "'the blind man came back from the Fen country "'and began to rule again, "'having lived there during fifty years upon an island "'which he had made by heaping up ashes and earth. "'For whenever any of the Egyptians visited him bringing food "'according as it had been appointed to them severally "'to do without the knowledge of the Ethiopian, "'he bade them bring also some ashes for their gift.' This island none was able to find before Amartaios, that is, for more than seven hundred years the kings who arose before Amartaios were not able to find it. Now the name of this island is Elbo, and its size is ten furlongs each way. Section 9 After him there came to the throne the priest of Hephaistos, whose name was Setos. This man, they said, neglected and held in no regard the warrior class of the Egyptians, considering that he would have no need of them. And besides other slights which he put upon them, he also took from them the yokes of cornland which had been given to them as a special gift in the reigns of the former kings, twelve yokes to each man. After this Sennacherib, king of the Arabians and of the Assyrians marched a great host against Egypt. Then the warriors of the Egyptians refused to come to the rescue, and the priest, being driven into a strait, entered into the sanctuary of the temple, and bewailed to the image of the god, the danger which was impending over him. And as he was thus lamenting, sleep came upon him, and it seemed to him in his vision that the god came and stood by him, and encouraged him, saying that he should suffer no evil if he went forth to meet the army of the Arabians, for he would himself send him helpers. Trusting in these things seen in sleep, he took with him, they said, those of the Egyptians who were willing to follow him, and encamped in pollution. For by this way the invasion came, and not one of the warrior class followed him, but shopkeepers, and artisans, and men of the market. Then after they came there swarmed by night upon their enemies mice of the fields, and ate up their quivers and their bows, and moreover the handles of their shields, so that on the next day they fled, and being without defensive arms great numbers fell. And at the present time this king stands in the temple of Hephaistos in stone, holding upon his hand a mouse, and by letters inscribed he said these words, Let him who looks upon me learn to fear the gods. So far in the story the Egyptians and the priests were they who made the report, declaring that from the first king down to this priest of Hephaistos, who reigned last, there had been 341 generations of men, and that in them there had been the same number of chief priests and of kings. But three hundred generations of men are equal to ten thousand years, for a hundred years is three generations of men. And in the one and forty generations which remain, those, I mean, which were added to the three hundred, there are one thousand three hundred and forty years. Thus in the period of eleven thousand three hundred and forty years, they said that there had arisen no god in human form. Nor even before that time or afterwards among the remaining kings who arise in Egypt, did they report that anything of that kind had come to pass. In this time, they said that the sun had moved four times from his accustomed place of rising, and where he now sets, he had thence twice had his rising, and in the place from whence he now rises, he had twice had his setting. And in the meantime, nothing in Egypt had been changed from its usual state, neither that which comes from the earth nor that which comes to them from the river, nor that which concerns diseases or deaths. And formerly, when Hecatios, the historian, was in Thebes, and had traced his descent and connected his family with a god in the sixteenth generation before, the priests of Zeus did for him much the same as they did for me, though I had not traced my descent. They led me into the sanctuary of the temple, which is of great size, And they counted up the number showing colossal wooden statues in number the same as they said. For each chief priest there sets up in his lifetime an image of himself. Accordingly the priests, counting and showing me these, declared to me that each one of them was a son succeeding his own father. And they went up through the series of images from the image of the one who had died last, until they had declared this of the whole number. And when Hecatios had traced his descent and connected his family with a god in the sixteenth generation, they traced a descent in opposition to his besides their numbering, not accepting it from him that a man had been born from a god. And they traced their counter descent thus, saying that each one of the statues had been Pyromus, son of Pyromus, until they had declared this of the whole three hundred and forty five statutes, each one being named Pyromus and neither with a god nor a hero did they connect their descent. Now Peromis means in the tongue of Hellas, honorable and good man. From their declaration then it followed that they of whom the images were had been a form like this, and far removed from being gods. But in the time before these men they said that gods were the rulers in Egypt, not mingling with men, and that of these always one had power at a time. And the last of them who was king over Egypt was Oros, the son of Osiris, whom the Hellenes call Apollo. He was king over Egypt last, having deposed Typhon. Now, Osiris in the tongue of Hellas is Dionysos. Among the Hellenes, Heracles and Dionysos and Pan are accounted the lastest born of the gods. But with the Egyptians, Pan is a very ancient god, and he is one of those which are called eight gods while Heracles is of the second rank, who were called the twelve gods, and Dionysos is of the third rank, namely of those who were born of the twelve gods. Now as to Heracles I have shown already how many years old he is according to the Egyptians themselves, reckoning down to the reign of Amasis, and Pan is said to have existed for yet more years than these, and Dionysos for the smallest number of years as compared with the others and even for this last they reckoned down to the reign of Amasis 15,000 years. This the Egyptians say that they know for a certainty, since they have always kept a reckoning and wrote down the years as they came. Now the Dionysus, who is said to have been born of Semele, the daughter of Cadmus, was born about 1,600 years before my time, and Heracles, who was the son of Alcmene about nine hundred years, and that Pan, who was born of Penelope, for of her and of Hermes, Pan is said by the Hellenes to have been born, came into being later than the wars of Troy, about eight hundred years before my time. Of these two accounts every man may adopt that one, which he shall find the more credible when he hears it. I, however, for my part have already declared my opinion about them. For if these also, like Heracles, the son of Amphitryon, had appeared before all men's eyes and had lived their lives to old age in Hellas, I mean Dionysos, the son of Semele, and Pan, the son of Penelope, then one would have said that these also had been born mere men, having the names of those gods who had come into being long before. But as it is with regard to Dionysus, the Hellenes say that as soon as he was born, Zeus sewed him up in his thigh and carried him to Nysa which is above Egypt and the land of Ethiopia. And as to Pan, they cannot say whether he went after he was born. Hence it has become clear to me that the Hellenes learnt the names of these gods later than those of other gods, and trace their descent as if their birth occurred at the time when they first learnt of their names. Thus far, then, the history is told by the Egyptians themselves. But I will now recount that which other nations also tell and the Egyptians in agreement with the others, of that which happened in this land, and there will be added to this also something of that which I have myself seen. Being set free after the reign of the priest of Hephaistos, the Egyptians, since they could not live any time without a king, set up over them twelve kings, having divided all Egypt into twelve parts. These made intermarriages with one another and reigned, making agreement that they would not put down one another by force, nor seek to get an advantage over one another but would live in perfect friendship, and the reason why they made these agreements, guarding them very strongly from violation, was this, namely that an oracle had been given to them at first when they began to exercise their rule, that he of them who should pour a libation with a bronze cup in the temple of Hephaistos should be king of all Egypt, for they used to assemble together in all the temples. Moreover, they resolved to join all together and leave a memorial of themselves, and having so resolved, they caused to be made a labyrinth, situated a little above the lake of Moiris, and nearly opposite to that which is called the City of Crocodiles. This I saw myself, and I found it greater than words can say. For if one should put together and reckon up all the buildings and all the great works produced by Hellenes, they would prove to be inferior in labor and expense to this labyrinth. Though it is true that both the temple at Ephesus, and that at Samos, are works worthy of note. The pyramids also were greater than words can say, and each one of them is equal to many works of the Hellenes, great as they may be. But the labyrinth surpasses even the pyramids. It has twelve courts covered in with gates facing one another, six upon the north side and six upon the south, joining on one to another, and the same wall surrounds them all outside, and there are in it two kinds of chambers. THE ONE KIND BELOW THE GROUND AND THE OTHER ABOVE, UPON THESE THREE THOUSAND IN NUMBER OF EACH KIND, FIFTEEN HUNDRED. THE UPPER SET OF CHAMBERS WE OURSELVES SAW, GOING THROUGH THEM, AND WE TELL OF THEM HAVING LOOKED UPON THEM WITH OUR OWN EYES. BUT THE CHAMBERS UNDERGROUND WE HEARD ABOUT ONLY, FOR THE EGYPTIANS WHO HAD CHARGE OF THEM WERE NOT WILLING ON ANY ACCOUNT TO SHOW THEM, SAYING THAT HERE WERE THE SEPULCHERS OF THE KINGS WHO HAD FIRST BUILT THIS labyrinth, AND OF THE SACRED CROCODILES. Accordingly we speak of the chambers below by what we received from hearsay, while those above we saw ourselves and found them to be works of more than human greatness. For the passages through the chambers, and the goings this way and that way through the courts, which were admirably adorned, afforded endless matter for marvel as we went through from a court to the chambers beyond it, and from the chambers to colonnades, and from the colonnades to other rooms, and then from the chambers again to other courts. Over the whole of these is a roof made of stone like the walls, and the walls are covered with figures carved upon them, each court being surrounded with pillars of white stone fitted together most perfectly, and at the end of the labyrinth, by the corner of it, there is a pyramid of forty fathoms, upon which large figures are carved, and to this there is a way made under the ground.